0: Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we're going to be talking to Lee Bristow, who is the CTO, Chief Technology Officer at Finity Risk Solutions. We're going to be talking to Lee about third party risk management or TPRM and how to automate risk management and some other things. But before we do that, let's say hi to Lee. Lee, how are you today?
1: Hey, Mark. Uh, thanks very much for having me on your show. And yeah, it's really great to have the opportunity to talk about the party risk management and all the good stuff that's happening in the space.
0: Awesome. Hey, So where, where about you located?
1: So I'm located uh, just outside Dublin. Uh, dublin Ireland, uh and as you can tell potentially tell from the accent i'm from south africa i moved over to ireland uh, about two years ago now
0: and what motivated the move from south africa to all that f- way north to ireland
1: to the cold wet uh, uh yeah. isle, isle of ireland um <laughs> A business, business, Mark. Business. So, uh, as the founder of uh, Affinity Risk Solutions, we we decided that we wanted to um, move our business into the into the northern hemisphere. Um, we realized that there was you know quite a big market for risk and compliance solutions up in the north, uh, specifically North America and 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 Central Europe. So, yeah, that was that was what uh, neg- uh, kind of drove the the requirement.
0: Awesome, man. yeah, you speak of a uh, cold, damp weather. I mean, I'm in Seattle right now, and it's been raining nonstop for like three days. And it's kind of weird that you're you're in Ireland because uh, so we have Saint Patty's Day here, and and it used to be a day thing, but now it turned into a, a week thing. And so there was like I was in in downtown Seattle yesterday because we have some friends visiting from from out of town, and there's like people just running around in green. There was a fun run. There's all kinds of events, <laughs> and 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 just uh, coincidentally, the place we ended up having dinner was an Irish pub. Uh, so I don't know. There we, go. This, this, there we go. Hey, I mean, um, it's,
1: it's one of those things about Ireland is that you—it's it probably one of the biggest things of, in terms of its export is—is is Irish pubs to the rest of the world. I mean, I, I don't think I've been to a city where there isn't an Irish pub somewhere. Uh, and and
0: Jameson whiskey just everywhere. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I and by the way, I mean South Africa is uh, amazing country. I, I I spent like ten days there once on a on a business trip, and the food, oh my gosh, dude, the the way you guys eat down there with the seafood, the wine, the beef, it's just amazing. I didn't see any small people in South Africa. I mean, it's, uh...
1: <laughs> no, definitely not. Uh, we 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 breed them big down there, um, but it's. Yeah, you know, it's it, it's just the lifestyle, right? That's um, yeah. that 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 sun, uh, that sort of continuous like warm weather that's coming through, uh, kind of you know oceans on on both sides of of, uh, of South Africa, um, mm-hmm. and and kind of the like just the culture. Um, it's very much around food and 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 what we call chies, Uh yeah. just having fun and and just you know being together and brawling and and yeah, just getting out there. So it, I agree, Mark. Uh, South Africa is just absolutely incredible in terms of like the culture and the people, and and I agree, the food, especially the seafood, is is phenomenal.
0: Yeah, no, it was it was, it was a great time. So hey, um, let me ask you then. I mean, I, I'm just wondering, like, what what's the startup kind of culture in South Africa? Because obviously, you guys at some point decided to make the move to Ireland. You know, how did it come about that you guys said, hey, let's let's get this company going, Finity, Finity Risk Solutions. And on the topic of third 3rd third uh, party risk management, I mean, how, how how did that come about?
1: Yeah, so um, so the, the organization or the business started back in 2017 and it was on the back of um, some work the other founder uh, with Infinity was doing uh, for a really large financial institution at the time. Um, and they were running manual third-party risk management uh, processes, so that would have been Excel spreadsheets, sending it over to the vendor. In some instances, even doing on-site visits and that kind of stuff. So it was kind of really in the dark ages of of third-party risk management, and very often it was kind of limited, or very limited to to your sort of tier one banks. Um, they needed it to to do it almost like as a as an audit project, if you will. Yeah. Um and it wasn't really in any kind of it wasn't really legislated beyond the sort of audit project type uh, process, if you will. Um, and then somewhere around sort of 2018, the the the, the EBA, so uh, the European Central Banking Organization, um, started defining methodologies that needed to be implemented around third-party risk management. Uh, and at the same time the south african uh, banking association also started to come up with methodologies around that and so it it's although it started as an audit type process it became pretty apparent that this is not going to be once off that you're going to need something that is going to be consistent continuous uh, that could survive beyond people changes legislation changes audit companies changing and all the rest of it and it was at that time that uh, Pat, the original founder of Finity, uh, you know, identified a, a, a gap in the market. So I, I joined up with Pat, um, and we started developing the first module within the Finity platform, which is third-party risk management. Um, and the idea, the original idea around third-party risk management within the Finity platform, was how do we take those Excel spreadsheets that are, you know, still very very much in the third-party risk management world today, um, how do we actually bring them into a form and workflow? And then beyond that form and workflow, then how do you actually start putting uh, AI-type solutions around it? I mean, it's not full AI. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Really what we're talking about is is, um, the ability to uh, configure specific business rules into your processes designed around your controls and legislation, and workflow the hell out of that. That's you know that's I think pretty much where the industry is at the moment.
0: Okay, so let me, let's take a step back and maybe you could define um, uh, third-party risk management, or I, I don't know if if you use the acronym or the the abbreviation TPRM, but um, yep. yeah, we do. Okay so maybe we can st- take a step back define TPRM and give some examples of some of those questions that were used to be on the excel spreadsheet
1: So 3rd party risk management can be defined as um any organization outside of your head office okay so if you can think of your as your as your group company your central group company your highest company within your organization Anything outside of that is considered a third party. Okay, um, you could also con- you could also bring into account fourth parties, but we'll we'll keep it simple. Inside that, everything outside of that is considered a third party. That could be even subsidiary organizations. That could be your supply chain. It could be your distribution chain. It could be uh, you know partners that you're working with to create new software solutions. Um, that is what a third party is. So when you look at it in that context, we all, well, in the Western world, we we operate within an open market, right? Mm-hmm. And within that open market, we need to assess uh, the risks and opportunities uh, that are that are presented to us. And those risks are anything that could be that could affect our strategic, tactical, or operational environment. And when we're thinking about third-party risk management, what we're actually thinking about is <clears throat> How can we be resilient to an event that occurs at the third party? So now you can think about that, okay? So now it's resilience to an event that happens at a third party. So we need to mitigate the effects that it will have on us from an operation, strategic, or tactical perspective. And the actual risk could be financially. It could be um, reputational. Um, Those are probably the two main ones. Um, and you can kind of stack everything else underneath that. You know, if there was a, a gap in services provided, there is a financial impact, and there's a reputational impact to to the organization. So just coming back to the definition. So now that we understand that it's basically any any organization outside of our group, we now need to think about that. Which means that there are a number. You could be a really small business, but you could be relying on up to twenty five different third parties. In terms of you know, the big ones will be pretty easy, your Microsoft's, your Amazons, and those kinds of things. But below that could be all of your second, second-tier suppliers, um, from your accountants to your consultants to your printer uh service to your marketing team, all of those third parties you're sharing data with. Um, they're providing services directly to your customers. Uh, and you need to manage the risk that is associated to that, and you need to build into your business the resilience to recover from uh, risks relating to third parties. So the way that you would kind of think about your third parties in the way that you would want to address this is you would go through what we would refer to as a profiling process. So now that you understand your entire landscape of all of your third parties, you would want to then profile those third parties to determine where your highest risk is in this little ecosystem or big ecosystem that you're operating in. And then based on those profiles, you would then run multiple controls assessments. And this is where the complexity of third party risk management comes in because you need to think about what are the different legislations that you have to take into account, especially if you're in a highly regulated industry, you need to take into account your own internal policies, processes, standards that you've adopted. and then you need to assess those third parties against those controls that you've accepted as your organization as the way in which you are going to deal with any event relating to uh, an interruption of service uh, relating to those third parties. And then the final step in all of that is then reporting and remediation. So I've joined reporting and remediation together is because, Once you know who your third parties are, you've profiled them, you've run all of those controls assessments, you now know where the issues are. So the issues could be policy related, so the third party doesn't have an information security policy, or it doesn't have an incident response uh, framework that it is implemented effectively, because you can see that from the evidence, evidence or the lack of evidence provided through the controls assessment. So you want to report on that and then run a remediation action. And a remediation action would be Mr. Third Party, please provide evidence within the next two weeks that you have uh, designed and developed a incident management uh, framework that is acceptable to us.
0: Okay. It makes, I mean, everything you're saying makes a lot of sense. Let's dig in a little bit. And instead of asking or providing like specific questions, could you provide, I'm assuming that across I'm going back to the old days where you had Excel sheets, that there yeah. would be different different categories of questions. So something might be around, you know, um, you know how do you protect your data or what regulatory bodies are you compliant? Um, others might be more in terms of, you know, your security protocols, are you SOC 2 mm. compliant, so on and so forth. What are the different categories um, broadly that would be part of this uh, TPRM?
1: So it, it, again, it depends on your on your region, hey Mark. So okay. I mean, one of the things that would be, so just as an example, if you're a, an American business with a European mm-hmm. operations and you've got manufacturing, say, in China, Africa, and Mexico, okay, it's probably quite a standard uh, structure for for an American organization, as an example, um, an international one that is. So let's say, for example, that you want to now onboard a new uh, third party in the UK, okay? And it's your European operation that wants to onboard that third party in the UK. So now you need to run that profiling process. So the profiling process would determine the legal requirements that need to be captured for that, that onboarding of the third party. Then you need to determine the services that would be provided associated to that third party and let's assume for a moment that it's consulting Um, and then you would trigger the controls assessment that would support um, what level of security would be required from a consultancy perspective okay and again that would then also be linked to the type of data that they would be accessing so if they're accessing sensitive confidential information then again there would be a higher risk and, and you can kind of Build up from that. So let's take it back to what would we what would we assess? So we're in Europe, so you'd want to assess GDPR. So that would be your privacy legislation specifically to Europe. If they were sitting in uh, the US uh, or California, it might be California data protection uh, requirements. So you can see how the geography plays a big part in terms of what is the legislation. If it's also the European one. You might want to start bringing in things like tax compliance um, that you would also want to bring in you might also want to do some esg analysis and then finally from a information security because they're touching sensitive information you might want to bring in either nist or iso 27001 in terms of information security and then the final probably the final step of that would be what other internal uh compliance elements would you want to add into that so it might be incident response plans, it might be business continuity plans, it might be backup and recovery, uh, it might even be uh, specific uh, information on the consultants that are going to be providing the service. So again, you you can kind of pivot in terms of the way that you would want. There is also another flavor that is starting to come into, um, kind of becoming almost in vogue, is the ESG elements. So, how are you implementing specific esg uh, capabilities into your supply chain are you assessing that um, in terms of especially on the manufacturing side
0: so you know i participate in rfps uh, with one of the companies i consult with um on a regular basis and almost all the rfps that come out they have uh just, I mean, just like you said, it's either Excel sheets or some type of document checklist where they are asking all these types of questions. Of course, yep. you know, there's the whole other part about product and pricing yep. and service and things like that. Yep. But, uh, but, but so much of this is still very manual going through and responding and, 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 you know, either, either checking the list or responding to in the affirmative, but then providing some evidence or something like that. So, so again, very manual. How do you automate this process?
1: I would say the risk- based approach, mark. Um, the risk-based approach supports the automation of it. Um, because if you if you're thinking about how do you how do you take this really complex challenge of the party risk management and you kind of take it into that global view, which is that business trying to operate across multiple jurisdictions. Uh, dealing with multiple legislations. I mean just as an example, there is a new act, the Digital Operations Resilience Act, uh, which has been which was uh, promulgated in late last year and came into effect on the 16th of January this year. and all financial institutions across the European Union and their ICT service providers have to comply with Dora, which is the Digital Resilience Act. Okay, Digital Operational Resilience Act, and that word "digital" is actually really, really important in that, in the sense that you need to prove out how you're how you're assessing risk relating to your third parties. Now, Dora does take care of a number of um, a number of other areas, other relating to to risk management and resilience, but one of the key areas is third-party risk management. And so what that legislation is saying, and I believe that this is the way that you know most countries are going to start leaning towards, which is that risk-based approach. So if you take that risk-based approach, which basically says, how is this vendor going to be in, in integrated into us? What sort of data are they going to be processing on our behalf? Um, will they have direct access into our networks? Will they have administration rights inside our networks? All of this is determining the risk uh, posture of that particular vendor to us, right? And with that in mind, what you're then able to determine is what actual controls assessments need to be triggered, what additional uh, AML assessments need to be triggered, what additional cyber risk rating assessments need to be triggered based on that risk rating. So I'll I'll give you a working example. Let's say for example, I'm onboarding a vendor, They're, they've been triggered as a very high risk vendor to us and you're a financial institution like a bank. So based on that, you're gonna throw the kitchen sink at them. You're gonna throw your ISOs, your uh, your, uh, your NIST assessments, your privacy assessments, um, your digital resilience assessments, everything. So you're looking at maybe 10 to 12 different assessments that you're gonna fire out to them, okay? but the systems that you would automate that you would use to automate that would then calculate what controls assessments are fired based on the risk rating of that particular vendor and how they've been answered then based on the control effectiveness of their responses you would then trigger additional cyber risk rating analysis so that could be maybe bitsight or blackkite would then do additional analysis of that You then might also then go, okay, well, you know, they're a really high risk to us, so now we want to go and do AML, so anti-money laundering analysis on uh, their leadership, um, and we might even want to do PEPs against their leadership. So you really kind of using that risk-based approach to determine how you're actually going to automate workflow and run that entire relationship relating to that third party
0: okay so is the automation part that finity risk solutions p- provides is it in terms of uh, helping companies to kind of assemble the appropriate questions uh, that need to be re- asked or is there an a way to automate just checking things without actually going through a questionnaire like for example you know looking at uh, different external signal that can can tell you things about the company. Like for example, are you know are they using HTTPS um, or uh, have they achieved certain ISO certifications? Because it's been posted here. Is, I mean, give, give me an example of the how the automation actually works for Finity.
1: Yeah. Okay, so the automation specifically for Finity, um, Mark. Mm-hmm. I, I, if I can maybe ask it in, in in two ways. So, a the automation for Finity, but also just in terms of where I think the industry is going in terms of the the automation as well. If uh, if I may, kind of do a bit of soothsaying as well. Please. So, from a from affinity perspective the automation for finity or within finity is based on the ability to integrate an organization's rule structures and controls uh, into a single, single repository so when you're assessing a vendor what it is doing is then determining what controls that vendor needs to uh, apply or be what 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 controls are applicable to that vendor and then triggers the automated controls assessment for that particular vendor. So instead of asking everything and the kitchen sink, it just asks the, the exact control questions oh, that I Okay.
0: Need. So so I'm not the sharpest tool in, this, in the shed, but I, I I'm starting to get it now. So because I can imagine that you have um you know your vendor manager or compliance team or somebody that's responsible for this you know this job and they're like, okay, I'm going to throw the kitchen sink because I've got this Excel sheet or this document that that we exactly. send out to everybody, but a lot of it's irrelevant, and and exactly. you need to be and and so based upon, you know, what that vendor is going to be doing and where they're located, um, the your platform will produce the questions that are are appropriate for them.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That's it. Yeah, and and remember. Under legislation like Dora, you actually have to go through this process or at least the very first step, which is do you have a central repository and do you have a way of assessing that particular vendor to determine the risk of that vendor? How you manage that risk and how you how you mitigate it and how you assess it is almost up to you. Our approach is to say, well, if this is the risk and this is the service, and these are the controls that are applicable to that vendor, and they should be in a position to provide you with evidence that supports, or well, basically uh, evidence that shows how they've implemented uh, a control. Yeah, uh, you know, it could be a policy, it could be a procedure, it could be evidence of, um, uh, it could be evidence of a, of a backup process, it could be evidence of. Uh, remediation. It could be a pen test uh, uh, report. Whatever the case may be, those should be applicable to that particular business, and therefore provide the, that evidence accordingly.
0: Awesome. Um, and 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 so you mentioned earlier that you're going to tell us where the uh, where we're headed.
1: Where, yeah. So, kind of the, the the thought process at the moment is that you know where we are right now is that you've got sort of almost two streams within third party risk management. So you've got the the Foreman workflow, which is which is tools like Finity. Okay. Um, and then you've got the the risk rating type uh, organizations. So the risk rating type organizations are the likes of of BitSite and and um, uh, uh, what's the other one? Um Black Kite and, and a few other risk recon and a few of the others along the way. So they typically take information that is available on the internet as well as they, they do analysis on what is exposed to the internet. So they almost do vulnerability analysis of uh, specific IP ranges linked to organizations. They look on the dark web to identify whether or not user accounts have been breached and all the rest of it. And based on that, they're able to provide information like data breach index, ransomware indexes, um, and information security, scorecards, and things like that, right? So that's the kind of stuff that they're able to provide. It doesn't determine, though, the inherent risk rating of that organization to you. Does that make sense, Mark? Uh,
0: totally. Um and I mean, okay. i'm I'm quite familiar with um those types of serv- services. In fact, i you kind of mentioned a name, I probably inadvertently, but uh, there's there's one organization called Security Scorecard. and basically yes. it it provides you a scorecard uh, be, uh, at, you know for your vendors And yep. it's just looking at all all that um like you said, signal that you can glean from from the internet. It's kind of like external pen testing type of data and to say, hey, you know, they've got these issues and so on and so forth.
1: Yeah, so the the first part of that problem is is that they don't do the profiling bit, okay? Now they're starting to bring in some of that workflow, form and workflow into their types of solutions, which will then provide that that sort of next level. It still doesn't cater for, you know, calculating how mature that organization is. So like, show me all of the policies, procedures, standards that that organization has adopted and is using through their business so basically the next part of the equation is to say okay well we need to profile now we've got a profile then we need to do an external scan if they're high risk not if they're low risk or moderate risk because then we're just burning money for no apparent reason we then need a ability to request more information, if they are high risk, you can't just take a a scanned external view. You need to get an internal view in terms of that particular organization. So we need to pull in your policies, your procedures, all of that kind of stuff and and vet and validate that it is actually sufficient for us to, to be working with you, especially if you are high risk. So that profiling step is quite unique. So where I see the industry going is that you are going to see a bit of a consolidation within the market space. Between the form and workflow um, and uh, risk rating type services, um, and then I think the last part of the equation that's that's going to start coming together is um, there's going to be a lot more AI and AI type solutions and services that are going to start sitting on top of this, because what is going to happen is if a profiling is done by a human based on the services that is coming in. Then you're going to have a trigger, which is basically a, okay, it's a high risk. We're automatically going to trigger a scan. Based on the scan, we're then going to trigger a controls assessment of x, y, and Z based on these control sets that we would expect. Then based on the outcome of those controls assessments and the answer options and the way that they've been scored, we're then going to trigger a recommendation of some description. So it's going to be bringing together each one of those different, each one of those different steps to almost bring out a kind of a a logical view of that vendor. So an aggregated logical view of that vendor with all of these multiple data points that basically says based on all of these risk um, triggers, metrics, we recommend X. And that X component would also then be based on probably a a five by five risk rating in terms of what is acceptable to you and your organization. And that's kind of where I believe we're going to start heading towards because we're creating a lot of data right now and we're gathering that data. The next part of that is to be able to really intrinsically understand it because right now we still need humans to look at that data, especially if we're dealing with form and workflow with uh, scorecard type uh, services to bring that together into one synced solution
0: excellent so where um, w- when you're talking with your customers when you initially engage with them who who typically are you talking with is it the compliance team is it a vendor management team who is it
1: we normally start the conversation on the IT side him um, okay. and it's it's normally the CISOs that that trigger the conversation um, and again it's not always um yeah because they're they're wanting to implement third-party risk management they hit up against uh, like a, a nist standard or an iso 27001 standard and one of the things that is that is highlighted in there is that you need to implement third-party risk management especially around service providers that are within the scope of your iso certification so they immediately start looking for solutions out there to be able to assist with that. Um, and from there, the conversation very quickly grows and starts to become a risk and compliance problem and then onto a procurement problem. And one of the things that that IT or CISOs identify pretty quickly is that this is not an audit problem. This is not a one of 2017 type problem this is going to be something that they're going to have to show that they're operationally implemented consistently and consecutively through the years to maintain their certification and then when you see that and then you start seeing legislation like dora coming out um, it becomes pretty apparent that you can't just implement this within the isolation of, of of your it environment so It starts with a CISO, expands to your risk, and ends up typically with your procurement uh, environment, almost taking the lead, if you will. That's, That's the evolution I keep seeing.
0: And what are their, you know, top of mind questions that you hear the most often? I mean, I don't care what you're selling, um, there's always, you know, it could be, for example, price. It could be security. It could be efficiency. It could be, um, are you able to integrate with this? Do you have connectivity with that? But in, in, in the case of, of of TPRMs, what are their top one or two concerns?
1: How much time is this going to take?
0: <laughs> so there's not <laughs> there's not top one one or two. There, you're saying there's just a broad a broad range of concerns. <laughs>
1: It's just a, it, it, the top concern is actually how long is this going to take? Because it's not okay. how long is this going to be implemented. Oh, that, is the, that much, is the concern. Okay, That I got is you. the concern. <laughs> it's literally how much time am I going to lose implementing a third-party risk management program? Because they're suddenly going, you know, I have a day job and my day job is information security. And now what you're telling me is that I now need to manage all of these vendors. I need to get evidence from these vendors on an annual basis. Is that like, you know, where am I going to find the time to do all of this? Is there, you know, and we show them the workflow and the automation that comes with that. And they go, it, it becomes a really big challenge for organizations pretty quickly. And, and, you know, then they try and see where does this need to live? Because, well, yeah, sorry, go ahead, Buck.
0: No, I was just gonna ask you. So how how long does it take? Or how long is this going to take? How do you respond to that?
1: Um, so there is effort effort that is required by that organization. Um, and so the first question I often ask is, well, you know, where are you in terms of maturity? You know, do you have a central repository of all of your vendors? And the answer to that is almost always no. So like, do you have a list of your IT vendors? Yes, we've got a list of our IT vendors. Okay, well, then you've, you, you're really halfway down the road. So then it's typically a... Again, it depends on the amount of vendors. But if you're dealing with, say, 100 vendors, it's you a know, four- to six-week project, uh, roughly around about 40 to 60 hours. Again, depends on who does it. Um, that designs your profiles, your workflows, your controls, assessments. And then there is actually somebody that needs to run it. And it's not like this is a nice-to-have anymore. It's now being legislated that you have to have it, which means that there is a... Um, a real cost that they need to absorb somewhere within their, within their budget. And there's time that has to be allocated. So you, again, for a program of a hundred to about a hundred vendors, you need anything between two hours a week to 10 hours a week, depending on where you are in the cycle.
0: Okay. Makes a lot of sense. And can, can companies outsource that? I mean, so what I'm actually, what I'm asking is is like a, a company like Finity, do you, it, it, in addition to providing the platform, do you also provide the services?
1: So we actually partner. Uh, so we we partner with a number of consulting services and tech managed services companies to, to provide that service. We're a platform company. So we provide, we want to build and create really cool workflow and automation, risk and compliance tech um, and implementation. Is typically best done by a consultancy business that understands information security or cybersecurity or procurement compliance, um, and so we leverage their uh, capability, and it works really well for us. So you know, it, you know, then we can work with clients in the states, and in in Europe, in Asia, uh, and in Africa, um, because you know they 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 have the relationships, they understand their clients, they understand their clients' needs um and budgets and so it can create and tailor something that would be best fit for them. But yes, Excellent. Mark, to answer your question, managed services for third party risk management, I think is going to become a very big thing in the not too distant future because that's that's kind of the nature of the way that you know things work is is their companies realize they you know they don't know how to do third party risk management. So mm-hmm. they'll outsource it. And those outsourced companies will tool up and then once that capability is understood and, and, you know, can be actually insourced, that will slowly but surely be insourced again.
0: Definitely. It makes, makes a lot of sense. Um, I'm just curious, like, because infinity you're still consider yourself a startup. Is that, is that that correct?
1: Yeah, we do. Um, Yeah, we, we, the, Probably the first two three years of affinity is is we were refining in terms of what we were doing and how we were how we were doing it um and post our our migration over to ireland um is is really is almost like the second phase of affinity if you will so uh, we still very much consider ourselves a, a startup um because we're breaking new ground especially around technology and workflow and automation and uh, there's some some really cool things uh, that that'll be coming out of Affinity, especially around the AI side, which I'm which I'm really 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 excited about. That is you know is going to revolutionize this this space, I believe. Um, yeah. So in that sense, startup all the way.
0: So and and so you are in the startup ecosystem, and you're helping other organizations kind of to you know to to do their their third-party risk management. And I'm wondering, like in the case with the the you know Silicon Valley Bank, uh, how would I mean, could a TPRM system come into play on anything like that?
1: Um, I would love to say I have exactly uh, that that I know the answer to that, Mark. I don't. Uh, what I saw recently was that silicon there was an issue with Silicon Bank over the weekend, but I did not pay too much attention to it. So uh, if there was a specific breach that it was associated to it, or I think there oh, was some investment issues or something like that, I can't. Yeah, there uh, was I a run on the bank
0: out. and basically they've had to shut it down. Um, they, you know, all so many of their um, depositors just wanted their money back. And after a while they could, they could no longer operate the bank. And so they've had to shut it down and the government is now trying to figure out what to do. And apparently something like 60, 60% of the startups in, or VC backed companies in America do their banking primarily with Silicon Valley bank. So there's all these companies now that are because they can't access their funds and they're saying, like, how are we going to do payroll? You know, how are we going to pay our vendors? And so there's, you know, there's going to be this trickle down effect, Um, but it happened so suddenly that. You know, I don't know how a a risk management system platform could prevent that other than to say, maybe you shouldn't have all your eggs in one bank's basket, you know, you should probably diversify your risk. And this is a whole nother conversation because in the US, um, the FDIC, the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, I think that's what it stands for. uh, They insure deposits up to like 250,000 US dollars above and beyond that. If the bank goes bust, you lose it. Um, typically, in two thousand eight, the the you know the government stepped in and made everybody whole, uh, but they're not sure what they're going to do in this case. So I guess the 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 third party risk management platform could probably say, hey, um, you know, you've got all your assets in one organization. Maybe you should diversify. I, I don't even know if that's something that you guys look uh, at or, yeah, go ahead. Yeah,
1: I, I, yeah, I would disagree a little bit, Marcus, in the sense that that's that's more uh, strategic. Uh, Risk analysis. So, again, so where 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 would this come in? So, let's say, for example, you went for funding uh, to to Silicon Valley Bank, um, and they provided you know uh, funding based on a convertible um, convertible note um, to the value of X. Let's say it's a million. So, and you could then draw down on that over a period of time. Again, hypothetically, right? So. Mm The the strategic uh, you would look at that from a strategic perspective in the sense that you've now taken out this massive loan with them and they but you are able to you know draw down on that particular loan your risk analysis probably would be that they would no longer be able to to provide uh, that facility to you and in the event that they were not able to provide that facility. What are your controls in place? What are your financial controls in in place to to mitigate that? So that would be as as a startup. If I were if I had some sort of um, uh, loan with them, we don't. But just as a as an example, that would probably be the route that I would go. The other side of that, though, is let's say from a banking perspective, um, they could use the Finity platform to assess. Um, various startups and the stage of startups and the maturity of those startups, uh, again, it would be almost on the other side of that. So how could Silicon Valley use Finity to assess third parties, right? So it would be Mm -hmm. because they're the ones that are actually going to be doing the loans against against those startups or for those startups. Um, And that would be typically the way that I would think that, that, third party risk management could be used within that scenario. So I wouldn't use it in the reverse. I would use the enterprise risk management in reverse, and I would use the third party risk management um, from a Silicon Valley perspective.
0: Okay, totally. Um, like I said, makes makes a lot of sense. Um, let me ask you, let's, let's um, kind of change tracks totally here. Yeah. Um, go back to South Africa. Uh, yeah. Elon Musk. I mean, in the U.S. these days, he's kind of a polarizing figure. Um, I mean, but you know, and and it's funny because people will post stuff like, "Oh, he's an idiot," and I'm like, "Yeah, but he launched Tesla and SpaceX and other stuff, right?" So, I don't, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like, I don't, don't, you know, I I think you need a few, you know, a few smarts to do stuff like that. Um, In South Africa, what's the general viewpoint, or is he polarizing there as well?
1: Um. I, no he's not particularly polarizing in terms of his his views. Um I think in the states he has been um but from a South African perspective no. Uh predominantly because you know I think from a South African and also I'm going to speak from an Irish perspective as well. Um is that we don't really follow the American politics uh to the nth degree like an American would in terms of you know Republicans or Democrats and yeah, you know, who's saying what and why and all the rest of it. So in that sense, not so much. Um, what I have seen is potentially a cooling off of um, a direct interest in 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 Elon and and some of the stuff that that he's being put out there. I don't I don't know why. If that's maybe just um, the the news feed bots either from YouTube or wherever, uh, just kind of putting a bit of a damper on on news that I, that is coming out about him. But no, not a polarizing figure. I think almost an inspiration, um, because here was a South African boy from Pretoria that managed to to make it big in in, in Silicon Valley. Um, and there's actually somebody out there. You know, we've got Mark Shuttleworth, which was the first guy back in 2000 uh, that that I think put out the first unicorn from from South Africa. Um, and then subsequently Elon who yeah, you know, made it to the richest man in the world for for a couple of months, or at least a couple of years over of the pandemic. So absolutely inspiring. I would actually say, I'd I'd argue. I would I would, argue.
0: Um, I, w- I would agree with you. I'm not even I'm not South African, um, but just just as um, you know, an aspiring entrepreneur. And if you look at what he's done and his ability to to kind of revolutionize different industries i mean the automotive industry is was probably the most what's the word uh, just rigid kind of old school archaic. this is the way the archaic yeah <laughs> this is the way things are done and I, I lived in yokohama japan for five years and that's the global headquarters for nissan so yeah. you can imagine all the third-party vendors um uh, you know the the continentals and the 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 Bosches and the all these uh yeah, vendors that sell into, so, uh, to, to Nissan, they were all there. And I'm, you know, I, I would go to the same sports clubs with these people and play soccer with them. And, and yeah. th- th- they would snicker about, oh, you know, Tesla, ha, 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 it'll never work. It'll never work. And <laughs> I'm like, well, I bought the stock and it's doing okay. So, um, and, 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 and you know, you could say that the end game with Tesla is you, who knows how successful it will be, but here's the deal. Now every automotive manufacturer in the world has a hybrid and full electronic uh, vehicle solution, right? And Tesla yeah. was a big impetus to forcing that issue. And then, if you want to look at even a more archaic industry, look at the um, defense contracting industry, where you have basically two or three major players, and they get yeah. the business no matter what. And yeah. they they said, you can never make a rocket that can be relaunched. You know, it's impossible. Yeah. Well, guess what? Yeah. <laughs> And SpaceX yeah. is getting contracts hundreds of millions of dollars worth of contracts now from NASA you know and other government agencies and it's like you know so that takes a certain amount of i don't know what he's got, but the, the ability to just not listen to the conventional wisdom and go out there and make something happen now what's got him in hot water here, and we're totally off topic, but it got got him in hot water here is the, is the uh, recently is the Twitter thing, but now yeah. we're even finding out with Twitter that there were massive abuses um from government agencies, just going in and saying, "Hey, these people are troublemakers. You know, throttle them down or deplatform Throw them." them. them yeah, yeah, you know. And it's like, whoa, 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 <laughs> you know. <laughs> so um, I don't know, man. I I, I give the the guy um, ma- massive kudos. If I could accomplish uh, a one hundredth percent of what he's done in his life, I'd consider it a, a job well done. So, um, well, hey. Uh, yeah, I
1: think. Yeah, maybe if I can, maybe just add one, one, one. Point on, on Elon is um, uh, about six, seven years ago, I was, no, less, about five years ago, uh, I, I watched a, a little YouTube clip on on something that he was talking about, and he was talking about first principle thinking. Um, and if you look at every other, if you look at all of his endeavors, um, whether it's into, you know, the, uh, the power wall or, you know, uh, uh turning your your roof tiles into into p in, into solar panels um he looks at he looks at the first principles of each one of those items to determine whether or not it is actually doable and achievable mm-hmm. and if it is in line with his overall um kind of vision which is turning humans into multiplanetary uh beings okay mm-hmm. and you kind of look at all of that and you look at that through the lens and i think that's why he's able to do what he's able to do is because he sees the battery power um, revolution as a way in which one can actually com- basically transport fuel and, and energy from one planet to another. Um, and that's, you know, that that I think is is, you know, just visionary in terms of going, okay, well, I know I'm going to have that problem and let's solve that problem here and let's also tap it into an issue that we're dealing with right now, which is climate change and and carbon emissions and things like that. So it's literally, it's thinking about that ecosystem and the first principles, thinking to break each problem down into its most basic form, and then determine whether or not in its basic form that it is commercially viable, or if anybody's exploiting somebody in terms of the cost of it, in terms of batteries, it was that the batteries were way too expensive based on the different components that go into a battery. Realizing that and kind of building all the way up and going, okay, well, this is how we're gonna build batteries going forward, which will then reduce on the cost, which will then make that product affordable. And it's just that first principles thinking is breaking it down to almost three or four questions that you can ask. And if you can answer those three or four questions, you can ask answer the next and the next and the next and the next. And that I think is kind of the, the key to to the success that he's had
0: i'm going to do some research on that because that sounds like a kind of good um heuristic to i don't know decision making and, and and looking at your you know future roadmap. so very cool stuff well Haley, i really enjoyed this conversation and um i'm going to get back to my 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 rainy day here and i'll let you get back to your uh...
1: <laughs> rainy days <laughs> Yeah, I'm pretty sure we're on
0: this very similar latitude. But yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, I, you know, and people come here when they visit, they're like, oh, it's so green. It's so nice. And I'm like, yeah. It's
1: um, <laughs> because it rains.
0: <laughs> yeah. So, but hey, uh, wish you and the, uh, the rest of the Finity Risk Solution team an amazing 2023. And uh, thanks a lot, Lee.
1: Thanks, Mark. Have a good one. Cheers, Paul.
0: Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted
1: source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance.